It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. I'm your host, Manuel F. And as always, I'm joined by Tim. And it's bright and early morning here in, uh, on the BC West Coast. Tim, how is it going? How is your morning going? Yeah, it is slightly early. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited to talk about a couple of exciting things uh, from before the international break. And life is great. Yeah, we have a few interesting things to talk about. A bit of breaking news this morning, um, uh, courtesy of Andrew Flint. Andrew, how are you doing? Yeah, not bad, Manny. Not bad, thanks, buddy. Uh, yeah, just trying to trying to negotiate the tricky waters of the Russian Football Union this weekend, but I'm sure we'll sort something out. But looking forward to the international break for once, which um, we've already mentioned on this podcast before, is not always the case, is it? But um, this one should be a good one. Um, so, yeah, lots to get our teeth into. Yeah, there's some big decisions to be made um, during this international break, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment, but... Uh, you know, I feel like this international break gives us a, a very good opportunity to to look at the, the Russian Football Premier League table. Uh, we're 16 games in, we're just over the halfway line. And um, it's a very interesting part of the season um, because we get a little bit of a picture now. And um, the picture is fascinating indeed because in the first three places you have Loko, Zenit and Krasnodar um, you know one of those teams I expected there the other two maybe not so much but let's start with Loko guys because Loko is a little bit of the surprising news and we chatted about that already last week right Tim that Loko although their first is um, a little bit of a seems to be a bit of a power struggle and this power struggle dates all the way back to August between uh, Semin Gerkos and uh, to some extent the sporting director Eric Stoffers House seems like this morning um, Gerkos seems to be gone. Yeah, there, we heard a bit of news that uh, there's some rumors uh, about him being uh, gone um, and uh, at the same time uh, I mean, who is the uh, like Lokomotiv like boss, said that it was a complete nonsense. But there's quite a few uh, rumors that there uh, that he might be gone. Uh, regardless of though, if those rumors are true or not, like I've been saying on the pod, uh, from what I understand, the way things works, there are slightly different um, vision between uh, the coach Yuri Sermin and uh, their. Um, you know, the, the top manager of the club, um, uh, Ilya Gerkus. Um, it doesn't seem like they're getting along. Uh, they try to do 
the um, the same thing to to move Lokomotiv forward, but they have different vision about that. And it was funny when not funny. It was I think it was funny 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 timing when um, Ilya Gerkus um, after uh, Lokomotiv uh, won Zenit and got on the first place. He gave a very interesting interview to a sports guy, a sports RU guy, Yuri Dut, and he really openly spoke about the conflict between him and Yuri Semin. And he says, yes, we have some misunderstanding and we sometimes we have different opinions on things, but uh, we both try to, you know, work for the same goal. I, I felt like it was a very strange um, timing because really when the team wonderfully wins, uh, against uh, Zenit and Petersburg and uh, gets in the first place in a very long time. That's not the right time to talk about the uh, internal conflict and very openly talk about it. So I, there's something like we're from, we, we would never know what exactly is going on, but we can definitely tell that there's some internal battle is happening in Lokomotiv uh, management. And like I've been saying since the very, very beginning of the season, if they didn't, don't have any management problems. Like my team is capable of, uh, you know, getting to one of those Champions League spots. If they will have this internal conflict in the club, um, this will be a big question mark on, on on their success, in my opinion. It's a really odd timing, I think, you know, because yeah. at this point, um, that's probably the most success the club had in 12, 13 years. And, um, you know, when you are first 16 games into the season and in a 16 team league, that means, you know, you're more than halfway. You've played everyone at least once. And being first at that point, that's, that's not a fluke anymore, right? So do shuffle the cards or have this like internal debate. It seems, it seems very odd, odd to me. And, um, it was an interesting interview with Eric Stoffelshaus and the, the kicker, um, on Thursday. Um, oh. and, how he got hired and it was actually Gerkus who brought him in because, uh, Gerkus used to be with Senit, right? Mm-hmm. And Stoffelshaus used to be with Schalke and it was the Gazprom connection. So when Stoffelshaus worked at, in Canada, Gerkus remembered Stoffelshaus work at Schalke when they worked together, um, on some Gazprom projects and building football in Russia and, um, brought him in that way. And, you know, Stoffelshaus has been one of the reasons why the, the club was so successful in the transfer window. And um, it seems like he's very much Gerkus's man. And at the same time, he seems to be also very supportive of Semin. So it's a, it's a bit of an odd one, right, Andrew? And it's, it, when you, when you look at the, the results, I mean, this weekend's results is 2-2 draw against CSKA. Uh, yes, it's two points lost, but in the other, on the other hand, it's also make sure that CSKA doesn't get any closer to them. Um, Everything is going really in their favor right now on, on the pitch. And this, this kerfuffle, the shuffling around, this, uh, power struggle, um, it's really the thing that could slow them down and hurt them. Well, it's, um, I think, I think you guys have absolutely hit the nail on the head with the, not just the nature of it. These things happen, the personality clashes happen, and we'll never fully know probably exactly the full extent of what's going on, but it's the timing. The timing that I find utterly bizarre. Um, you know, this is, like you said, the the most positive, really, that Locomotive can feel with matters on the pitch. Closing in on winter break, they've got a gap above Zenit St. Petersburg. Very few teams in the last few years have ever had a gap above Zenit. Um, so I think, I think the conclusions I would draw from it so far are that, firstly, 
the Smorodskaya reign was just it was toxic. It was it was never going to be um it was never going to be a forward moving period. And to, to remove her for Ilya Gerkus um what a few months ago, whenever it was, was a positive move. But Semin rules the roost. I mean we knew it's not that that's a rele- you know revelation. We knew that. We knew that he was a legend at the club and his voice was always going to be respected above pretty much all others. But this is utter confirmation of it. Um, and to be fair to Ilya Gerdkos, if I was club president, I would feel a little bit put out by the fact that um, the club manager is apparently um, pretty much the, the the top top voice in the club. Now, what happens from here is interesting because initially I'd agree with you that this is a very destabilising, um, potentially destabilising development in locomotive season but on the other hand if the fact that Yuri Semin and Eric Stoffelshaus who both have proven their worth they've they've done their job and so has Gerkus to an extent but the fact that um, Gerkus and Semin are calling the shots and they're successful in doing so will it in the short term actually disrupt things too much because what I'm thinking is if they're now even more powerful you know publicly and privately um if anything, the short term, it might actually, I don't want to say benefit them, but there'll be less conflict within the club. It, you never know. It may end up actually being something of a bonus in a twisted way. Do, do, you, know, do you know what I'm getting at, Manu? Um, <laughs> just, you know, clearing out arguments, basically. I mean, long term, it's got to be sorted. But short term, you know, who knows? Success, it may actually be a positive. Success through pressure. You know, um, <laughs> I guess the, the debate can be also fruitful. It's... Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I just look at the standings and I look at their recent results. And if that's what, if that's what floats the boat, I mean, why not? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's hard to argue against that, right? If, if there's internal strife and it leads to good results and it motivates everyone to get the job done. Well, if they think that's the way to do it, it seems to be working, you know. Um, it's, it is. It can be fruitful to a certain extent, but it can also, um, in the long term lead to really big destabilization. I mean, I've seen that, seen managers before, um, clubs that are run more or less by dissent, um, you know, where several decisions make it stone get along and, uh, it motivates people to a certain extent to, to get the results in the short term, but in the long term, it usually goes wrong. Um, you need a certain sense of harmony. You have to have everyone working in a team. Um, otherwise, you know, the results just don't, just don't come. And, um, I think, I think it's going to be really interesting for, for local, how they're going to handle this going into the winter break, that long, long winter break. Um, that's not going to be on for another month. That's, that's a topic in itself, but you know, a lot of things can go wrong in three months when you don't have league games. And I think that's really going to be key for them. But boys, um, you know, they had this, they had this crazy game against CSKA, right, Tim? And, uh, maybe yeah. that's, that shows exactly what's going on with them right now because it's like so up and down. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was actually one, one of the best games of the season, probably. Uh, it was the games had everything. It has red cards. It had penalties, yellow cards, beautiful goals. It has the fight. 
uh, it, uh, one team was going forward and the other team was, um, you know, equalizing. So it was it was a magical, absolutely crazy game. But um, it was I, I watched uh, the um, a, a pretty good review of that game uh, where uh, the uh, Match TV crew uh, they were filming. Uh, before the game, during the game, and after the game, what was happening around the field. And the funny thing was that before the game, Yuri Semyon and Gonchirenka and uh, the CSK coaching staff, they were so friendly. They had this very nice chat, and they were almost hugging each other. And then in the second half... Um, Yuri Semin was yelling and almost got into the fight with uh, Gancherenko, who is the coach of CSKA, and he was he was yelling at him, "Go away from here, go away!" Because he he ran over to his bench and tried to uh, talk to the referee and just initiate a fight. So it was very very interesting uh, game with lots of emotions. Um, the the big the big talking point was the potential red card to Wernblum, who pretty much elbowed in the face locomotive flare, and it was a clear red card, but um, the referee didn't didn't really do anything with that. Uh, so there was also some an opinion. Somebody did the whole calculation, and according to them, uh, Wernblum had a four red cards in one game. So he had four... Um, tackles or different misbehavior that led to the red card and he finished the game so it was a it was a really talking point but the end result is 2-2 uh, which uh, kind of moves forward locomotive uh, because zenith also drew against rubin and um, not so well for CSKA because spartak won and now uh, spartak is getting really close within pretty much one victory they are uh, below CSKA and um um, Krasnodar and um, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I saw that on a tweet. The video uh, yeah. only in Russia is this is this not a red card? <laughs> um, <laughs> I have to agree. Wernblum has to probably be sent off for that. But Tim, you mentioned Zenit, and you know, with all this stuff that's going on at Lokomotiv, you would expect that Zenit would kind of benefit from that. But I feel like that Zenit is struggling very much with the same things you know there's a little bit of uncertainty at the club right now they had such a great start to the season and they could have really you know drawn close to loco after this two to draw but they don't seem to right now they don't seem to have any consistency yeah they haven't scored in four league games in a row and I, obviously, Alexander Kakorin, who is the the best uh, goal scorer of the league and Europa League, haven't scored in four in four league games. He scored in Europa League, but the whole team hasn't scored in in four league games. This is astonishing because if you remember how they started the season, um, they were just like scoring goals left, front, and center, and uh, clearly something is is wrong. And um, um, there's a few theories I don't fully understand because Mancini, uh, he really was successful with using Alexander Kokorin as a middle, as a like top striker, the striker who was up front. Then he returned Zuba to the squad. So Zuba now plays in the center and Kokorin plays uh, on the side. And that was like the biggest um you know, the biggest issue because Alexander Kokorin doesn't really score when he plays on the side. And given the beginning of the season, you see that the player is in a, such a top form, why would you put him on the side and you put Zuba in, in the in the starting lineup as a center forward? So that's a big question to me. One of the opinions I heard is that because really it's such a young team, there's not that many experienced players who has been around there for a long time. And one of the thought was that 
Mancini just needs a leader on the on the pitch. He has experienced Tavanovic, he has Krishito, but everyone else in the team is somewhat young or fairly new to the club. And the vision was that Zuba is obviously he's the leader, and that's why he needs to have somebody as a leader on on the pitch. But I I think that doesn't really work for Alexander Kakorin. So there's a lot of questions in terms of the lineup, what's going on with Zenit, and um, but obviously, um, and the results are just really really you know doesn't do anything for for for, for the club. So Zenit is uh, they had a few opportunities to uh, to close the gap on Zenit already, and they. They're still for three points behind. Yeah, that's remarkable. I mean, five games without a win for Sinead. And given how much money they have poured into this team, it's um, it's almost embarrassing, I think. Because, you know, they were they were so far ahead of everyone and to drop that many points. Uh, you know, man, that's the drop in results uh, coincided with the death of uh, Konstantin Sarsania, yeah. who is their sporting director. And it's not a secret that quite a few players joined Zenit because of his connections. They came to, to the club because he, he was in charge of their transfer policy. They knew him. And now, unfortunately, the... He's not with us anymore, and I and I think that really put. It's not the only issue, obviously, because like everything is on the field. But I think the the mood around the club was kind of like you know questionable because like what's now, what's happening now, uh, and uh, especially I think with the Argentinian players. Yeah, I think that's a very good point, Tim. Um, I kind of escaped my mind actually for a second there, yeah, but that that happened. But that's definitely I think that would impact a team. Um, at the same time, when you look at the quality of that club uh I, i don't know it's 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 still something that i find complicated i mean andrew you know my opinion artem zuba and i'm i always think you know he should be your last resort uh, up front because he doesn't he, he's just so um in german we have this nice word fremd, fremdkörper he is uh, an object that doesn't belong um, sometimes, you know, and it's, uh, because he's just perpetually offside and he doesn't track back and he doesn't put in the work rate. And then you have someone like Kokorin and Druzy that will fit much better into the system. And yet Artem Chuba plays. And I almost wonder, you know, if the, if he is able to insert, um, if it's almost political that he's playing. Well, Mane, I, I, I do share your, your views on Zubo and um, I see it as absolutely no coincidence whatsoever. He, he can only fit in really one type of play where the play is focused around him and he just doesn't yeah. have the talent to, to really carry a team on his own. You know, he, he works. He had that season at Rostov where he scored 17 goals, I think it was, when they played a system that centred all around his physicality. So you need to have far better players than that. And mm-hmm. it's it's a real shame for Kokorin because, you know, I've been pretty much a Kokorin cheerleader for, for a while. And I've always, I mean, it's not that I've seen something that other people haven't, but I trusted his mentality. He's a sort of player who needs to be trusted. He needs to be put as the, the, the main guy. Look, Sasha, you're our main guy. You're, we're going to play off. I'll play through you. We're going to have players that fit alongside you, like Rigoni, like Juicy, like Shatov even. Um, you could pick any two of them and they'll do the right job for him. Yeah, Zuba, political? Well, I, I, I don't know how much it's political, but I think it's done certainly not out of tactical awareness because Mancini is not stupid and he knows the players he's got. So perhaps you're right. Perhaps. 
it is something to do with some outside influence because, I mean, whatever you might say about Mancini's preferred playing style, he's, he's an intelligent manager and he's had success in different leagues in the world. So, you know, it's not beyond him. And look how quickly he settled into the club. So, you know, he clearly judged the players very well early on. I think, really, Juba is a very, very major part of the problem. But, you know, this is, this is a real challenge for him now. You know, OK, three points off locomotive, still 14 games to go. It's not a major crisis, but it is a major problem that needs to be overcome. And this is the probably one of the biggest tests of Mancini's managerial career, I'd say, um, because we all know how short the patience of... Um, of Russian owners can be. Um, Alexei Miller is not going to suffer any fools there. So uh, will he be able to turn it around? Of course he's capable. Of course he's got the players. But is it factors beyond those which are actually going to be more decisive? Um, you know, will he... You know, the, the lack of Sarsanya um, is going to be a big blow. So, um, yeah, I think, I think really what needs to happen is Mancini needs to sit down over this international break, just take stock and think, look, if I'm going to take myself seriously, if I'm planning on being here for more than a, a season or two, I've got to show them that I know what's right because they paid me the big bucks to come in. And he does know. He does know the answer. The answer is not Juba. Simple as that. Um, so it's not crisis in one sense, but it's it's a real challenge for Mancini. And I think it's I think it's in the balance at this point for the title race. Yeah, and maybe to round up the top three, and this is this is this is something that I find shows exactly how inconsistent the league and the top teams in the league have been. Krasnodar are now third. Um, they won the last two games. But before they won their last two games, they lost to Zenit, Arsenal Tula, CSKA and Lokomotiv. And yet they're still, you know, with that kind of, uh, with that kind of record going into the last two games, they still managed to now be third in the league, only six points off the pace of Lokomotiv Moscow. And that's just, you know, Tim, that says that A shows that it's, it's exciting, but also B that the teams on the very top are extremely inconsistent. There is not a team that just like walks away with it right now. That's true. Yeah. And, uh, but the other angle to look at is because everyone can lose points with anybody. Like look at, uh, Zenit who, um, tied with Anji, who lost to Arsenal Tula. So, um, you know, it's it's an interesting league. It's kind of reminds me like an like a English Premier League where like a Burnley can get the points of Chelsea or something like that. Uh, it, you know, that's that just shows that everyone will lose points. Like when we saw Zenit running away with that, um, I was kind of I didn't have a, a feeling, but I was hoping that they will have that uh, part of the season. Where they, they will lose a lot of points, and it's not going to be a done deal. And obviously, I'm biased because I I want another team to to win the league. Uh, but um, I think this is exciting. And uh, but you're right, like crazy that uh, Zenit haven't won in five games. I haven't scored in in, in four games. Uh, Krasnodar loses four in a row, and they're second and third. Like how about that? Like if in any in which other league this will happen, and the table will stay will stay true. But because everyone loses points with everyone, the league is extremely competitive. And um, maybe you know if you compare to the top clubs, I don't know it's hard to compare them to European clubs. But in general, the league is so um, so 
even, I would say. And then uh, you see the clubs like Ural, Arsenal, Ufa, who are, play, who are in the top uh, half of the table. And um, it's, I think it's good for Russian football in general because it makes the league more exciting. We don't have one team who's just running away with the title. Uh, but at the same time, um, yeah, that's the, you, you're right that the top teams are not in the consistent form. And that uh, also not good for the European performance, I guess. So if you can uh, perform consistently, you will lose some games in Europe and those games are crucial. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's true for the teams that are following that pack, um, right behind that pack, CSKA and Spartak. And mm-hmm. uh, Tim, I'm going to go straight back to you. I mean, of course, CSKA have been inconsistent. We've talked about that plenty of times in the Champions League. But Spartak... Um, really bad start to the season and now slowly but surely rolling up the field from behind and but same same story inconsistency yeah uh, Spartak I know situation a little bit better because I follow the club uh, very closely and uh, there was this uh, very tough period in uh, kind of like in the beginning of the season uh, there was a few losses which were like the, the game against Tosna when they were winning 2 nothing. then obviously the game against Lokomotiv and Spartak was up 2 nothing and then lost 4-3 so there was but I think this period is, is now over I think if you take uh, the look at the table of the past I don't remember how many games I read this article. We will be there on the first place, just not if you take off the the beginning of the season. So um, Spartak definitely passed that uh, tough period. And what's important is that a lot of injured players are coming back. Ramam Zobrin is, is expected to play uh, after the international break, at least to start, uh, you know, being featured in the lineup. Um, so we had some like remember how Spartak had 11 injured or something like that but right now just players are coming back and um, Carrera again has a good choice like Zeluish is back which was a massive massive improve like a massive addition to the squad so you just have that Spartak kind of got back got through this tough period and what's exciting for me is a fan that really now we're only three points away from Champions League spot and six points away from Zenith which is which is absolutely doable it wasn't like at the the worst it was I think 11 points behind Zenith and that's pretty much impossible to do anything with three and six points is absolutely mm. um, doable and we're still in the in the in in the in the race for the trophy yeah, I would actually go along with that. I think the way the top teams have been playing, eight points doesn't seem like a lot right now. You know, that's three games and, you know, all you need is locomotive. It's a need. Do what they have been doing all season long. And then you can be in that, in that range and come the springtime, all of a sudden, um, the, the light league table is wide open. I think I wouldn't discount any of those teams, um, to win the title. I would actually say in the top five, all those teams still have a shout. To get there now of course that uh, brings us to what should we call them andrew the followers the hopefuls the maybes um <laughs> arsenal arsenal the, the, ti- the title money the title favorites is the phrase you're looking for for the sixth place side um the title favorites yeah, no. okay oh looks like that <laughs> <laughs> no i mean the it, it, I have to be honest, it really is one of the most fascinating Russian seasons in, in such a long time. We, we've covered the top of the table, like we mentioned, of course, but the middle of the table as well. I mean, the you know the names like Ural, Arsenal, Ufa, these are not teams that traditionally compete um, just on the cusp of European qualification. But um, the, why not? I mean, look, if they've, they've got the form, 
Arsenal have won four of the last five, or I've only lost twice all season. I mean, I, I will be going to Yekaterinburg in December for the last game before the winter break, or I'll at home to Arsenal Tula. And, you know, bizarrely, that is going to be a game that could decide who you know, starts the spring in the Europa League places. Um, <laughs> now, to give, I've got to try and be, I've got to try and be objective here for a moment. Um, you know, any listeners to the Football Grab podcast will know I have possibly a slight leaning towards Oral from time to time, <laughs> um, just 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 mildly. Um, now, honestly, you look at the, you look at those teams. Okay, let's take Oral, Arsenal, Ufa. Have any of them got a chance of making Europa League? The the simple answer to that for me is all of them have a very slim chance, but no more than that. And I have to be brutally objective here, simply because, like Tim mentioned, Spartak getting the players back. The momentum is, well, I say the momentum is with them. They've, they're on such a long unbeaten stretch and I see them being a very strong team from here on in. Tesca, okay, yes, they, they're, they're having a few bumps, but again, they, they're blooding a lot of their youngsters and some of them are now, you couldn't really class them as youngsters anymore. They're first team players now. Jamal Letnov has got a lot of experience this season. So I don't see them, I don't see them in long-term trouble. Krasadar picking up form as well, Zanit, well, and then we're back up into the, the top two. Now, for me, the mid-table teams, it's, I don't know, the, mathematically they're close. I just can't quite see it happening. I honestly see the top five as it is staying that way. Um, but, you know, playing for safety, it sounds a bit boring, but it is a very important thing. In a season now where everybody's so close, Tossing on 17 points, and they're a decent side, playing very nice football at the moment. Four points up till Ufa in mid-table. So a couple of defeats, and you could be dragged into the relegation battle. So I, I honestly, I don't see any of the chasing pack um, actually breaking into the European party. It, it, it pains me to say it. Um, and of course, I'm going to say Oral are favourites. And I actually do mean that objectively as well. I think they have a bit more consistency long-term than Arsenal, Tula. But... Yeah, that's, that's basically how I see it going. I see, it, I don't see a great deal of change in the groups, if you like. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. You know, but Andrew, you mentioned something really important. And I think that's when you take Ural and Arsenal, right? Those two teams, they are still in that, um, let's call them the Europa League pack. And um, anyone underneath that, so from Ufa down, that's four points to 13th place, which is the first spot in that relegation playoff spot zone, right? Um, so... Tula, Ufa, Grozny, Kazan, Rostov, Perm, Tosno. They're all within four points, um, uh, or six points of each other, right? So any of these teams can be dragged in and out of the relegation battle in a snap right now. And that's, that's really interesting how you have really from, really from eighth down, 
these teams have to be really, really worried about um, looking down rather than up. And I think, Andrew, that is really um, what makes this table so interesting. You mentioned Tosno, how, how well they play. Um, they are on 13th. They're in the playoff zone, right? We go further down. You have Mahachkala, of course, the crazy Mahachkala. Um, you have Dynamo <laughs> Moscow. Speaking of crazy teams, they're in a relegation spot as well. But it's that, it's that medium pack. And I mean, I could maybe see someone like Ruben Kazan pull out of there, but everyone else is basically in danger of relegation. Yeah. No, I mean, absolutely. I mean, the, the relegation zone itself, um, Angie's upturn in form recently has surprised me. I really did think they were virtually goners. Um, but, um, Dynamo Moscow in the relegation automatic places, I'm really surprised by this. But realistically, they've, they've, they've really got a fight. You know, in the past, we've seen tables like last season when Tom Tomps were rock bottom. They were just, they, they were cannon fodder for the most of the season. Um, but even, even Skarkobarovsk, they are, okay, they lost at home last weekend, but that was only their second defeat at home all season. And they have been very, very solid, despite what the table says. Bottom of a table, fewest wins overall. They are still hard to beat at home. And, you know, it's the strongest bottom of the table I, I can ever remember. Um, so Angie, I'm backing Angie to implode again at some point of the season. Um, I mean, it's, it's partly a personal vendetta against Vadim Skripchenko, which I'm never going to give up, I'll be honest. But, um, but actually just the club itself. They're always liable, aren't they, guys? You know, Angie, can you really honestly say they're now stabilised till the end of the season? I don't think we'll ever, ever. be able to say that. So, never. Um, yeah? Uh, never, never, never. Yeah, or they, <laughs> or they actually do stabilise. You, know, you never know. And um, I, I'm really curious because we're getting into... I'm really odd stretch of the season now because, um, Andrew, you look out of the window and you see winter. And <laughs> I do. You guys won't know what this means, but I certainly do. I have to point out it actually did snow last week. Okay. It didn't stick. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> but, uh, it didn't stick, but we do have, well, it was also the biggest oddity ever for November, but, um, yes, it is winter in Russia and, this is the time of the year when, historically speaking, the Soviet Vishaya Liga or the Russian Football Premier League after it would end. You know, the actual season would be wrapped up because we had the yep. the league, uh, the, the annual year, right? But historically, that may have been the case. This year, factually, we have another, what is it? Five four match games. days, four match days till December 11th. There's another month of football. In possibly the worst time of the year to play football in Russia. And, um, Tim, how, how do you think that's going to influence results? And I mean, we're going to have cancellations. We have going to have teams games moved. Um, especially for some of the lower sides. That's going to really have a massive impact on how the, how the results will pan out. Uh, yeah, yeah, man, you're absolutely right. There, there will be some very cold games, and but to me, the one of the biggest mysteries is that Spartak plays CSKA like the biggest derby, the biggest match of the season, which sells, which pretty much shows the game as the Russian league in Europe in the world. This is the game you can sell, and it, you know, the game will be played on December two, uh, December tenth. 
This imagine in Moscow, Spartak says December 10th. Will be cold. Like, what, what are you doing? Like, really? Then Spartak plays Zenit on November 27th. I don't think it will be a warm game to, to, to play. But yeah, regardless, like um, the, this original change was to match European calendar. And to be, if you look at European calendar, Spartak's last uh, uh, Champions League game is December uh, 6th. And then the weekend after, there's the game against the SK, the, mm-hmm. the derby. So it kind of makes sense because they, they, they wrap up the season when the European um, um, season breaks before February. But the weather conditions are really is going to be tricky in the next couple of months. You're right. There, there, there will be some cancellations. I already watched some car game, and um, they were playing covered in snow already once. I saw that. And uh, usually they are the ones who... It used to be Krylia Sovietov, but they're not in the league anymore. And the Gamkar, who always have those issues, because they're just like... <laughs> there's so much snow, you can't play a football game. Um, we're lucky that Tom Tomsk is not in, in the league anymore. Um, I'm not sure how is it going to be, what, what the weather is going to be in Khabarovsk. Mm. So um, it is going to be interesting. And um, I'm just looking at my team, and we have key games. We are playing against Krasnodar, against Zenit, and against Teska in those f- three games out of last four. So it's uh, in this weather conditions, the club still needs to get those results. And uh, and like and the other teams, some like all those three teams also would need to get the results. I don't know if if anything can be done. And uh, there's also a question when you do the the calendar, do you do it manually to benefit the league, or you do it a completely you know random, just the computer does it for you? In my opinion, it should be some uh, human thought inserted because like if you have those games, really those games sells. Like these games will sell the 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 league. Spartak, Zenit, CSKA when they play against each other, you need to play it in a nice stadium full of people uh, when when it's a celebration of football not when the people on 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 the stadium are covered in snow as cold and that this will offend uh, uh, sorry um, affect attendance so um, i don't know i don't know in my opinion maybe some human thoughts should be put into the calendar you mentioned the spartak is a neat game and i mean at least that is going to be played in a modern in a modern facility right so um it's still not great because it's it's cold. I've been to stadiums at this time of the year in Russia, and it's it's really cold. Um, but it could be worse. I mean, you mentioned Skaharovsk. Lokomotiv are going to Skaharovsk <laughs> on November twenty seventh. Now that's that's going to impact the title because we have no idea if Habarovsk's uh, facility is going to hold up to the winter, right? And um, I think that's, that is really the big question. Like, how are teams going to do that are going to, to Habarovsk and uh, play there? Now, I, I did notice that they don't have, that's actually the last Habarovsk last home game. So there was, I guess they had thought about this at least a little bit. Um, but then again, this, this is kind of not so great for Habarovsk either because they're basically, they're last in the standings right now. They're really struggling and, Going into the winter break, um, playing essentially three out of the four last games on the road isn't, isn't fantastic either. And that's because of the weather, right? And the facilities and everything that's going on. So that's maybe we, we, I have a question. We talk about this all the time, but before we go into the international games, uh, quick question to both of you. Should we, should we move back to the annual calendar? Yes or no? Um, Tim? 
like when the Russian calendar is aligned with Europe, I just think there's need because of our weather conditions, there needs to be a little bit more thought, like I said, put into the calendar. But I, I think we should stick with the current. Andrew? Uh, I'm afraid I completely disagree. I hate it, and I want to go back to the, the old Soviet Russian calendar. No, I mean, the, the point is, the about a, a part of the reasoning for moving to the European calendar made sense, but it's it, that only if that was 100% true, it would still only benefit five clubs anyway. And I'd actually say, if anything, it almost... Um, well, I just don't think, it, I don't think there is any benefit. Um Personally, I, it just infuriates me. I think it's a lack of thought. I think what Tim said, though, as a compromise for the time being, I would accept if they did manage the fixtures. I do think that is eminently sensible, and I don't think anybody would complain with that. Um, you know, perhaps, you know, the the you know, you talk about the the winter games going away. Um, Spartak, pardon me, uh, playing. Oh dear me, sorry, just. Where are they playing? There they are in Krasadar. You know, Krasadar away. That's not the worst place to go to, for example. No, so but, it actually will be good, good, good weather conditions there. Yeah, you know, that's that, that sort of thing. Um, the southern clubs should have uh, the the last home game probably should be there. But uh, you asked your question about the calendar, Manu. For me, it's it's a no brainer. It should be the as it was simply because it's a unique league, a unique place. There's no point trying to pretend it's the same as. German, Italian, Spanish, French, English leagues. It's, it's just isn't. Um, and that break could be put to much better use at the end of season, personally. But that's just my my two pennies worth. Okay, well, that's... I, I'm not sure myself. I think that um, it really doesn't matter if it's annual or, or not um, because the, the winter break is always going to be the winter break. And I guess the most teams use the winter break to do most of the business. Uh, I did like in the past going to Russia in the summertime and watch the games there when everyone else in Europe was resting. On the other hand, uh, they use the annual league calendar here in North America, and I'm not a big fan, to be honest. Um, but I guess either or there will be issues. I, I think that's really the bottom line. Either or there's going to be problems with it. So I think there is no perfect solution, uh, unfortunately. Maybe managing the calendar a little bit better. It's one way to go about, but I think uh, either way, there's going to be issues with it. But boys, uh, international break, we mentioned it. Um, Andrew, you already talked about all the issues that you're facing with the, the Russian Football Premier League at the moment because they are being not so forthcoming with their accreditation right now. But um, two big games for Russia against Argentina and Spain. And maybe really quickly tell us, what do you expect from these games? Well, absolutely massive. Um, we mentioned it before, of course, when they were announced. Um, and it's, I think it's important to have some really big games, especially at the Luzhniki, I think, because now it's been remodeled. This will be the first full game uh, that will be played in the, the venue where the World Cup final will be. The game itself, I think it will be a massive challenge for, uh, for Russia. And I think... Um, I've been a fan and a supporter of Chichesov with the fact he's made bold decisions with the uh, squad selections and team selections, but I think he really does have to start showing us what his first choice 11 is looking like, at least at the moment, or at the very least, he has to play like he intends to play in the World Cup. He's not going to get, um, there just physically isn't enough time or many more opponents um, to test against. Now, Spain coming up, Brazil in the spring, those are three massive 
things. And they are more important than I think they appear at first glance. These aren't just friendlies. These are genuine, genuine tests. Firstly, for the team themselves, um, you know, measure themselves against the best in the world. But also, you know, I think it's an underrated thing. But the fans themselves, they've got to start getting behind the team. Now, if the if Russia play an expansive style with the, the passing midfielders they have uh, available to them, if Tergoyev can can have a good hand in these games, Golov. I'm hoping Zopnin may even get one or two minutes, um, possibly against Spain in St. Petersburg. Um, now, if these sort of players can start playing, Kokorin can be used uh, successfully, and hopefully Juba is nowhere near the starting lineup. then it really could restore a fair bit of faith in the Russian national team, and I think that's going to be very important. How do I actually expect the games to go? I think it's very hard to, to, to call. Um, I think it probably is likely to be quite close, and... I think a draw would be a successful result for Russia um, if the performance is there. Do I expect it to happen? I'm 50-50 if I'm honest. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit my neck out and say that Russia will go toe-to-toe with Argentina and Spain and, and should get at least a result in one of them, maybe even both. Tim, um, Roman Sopnin is in the squad. As a Spartak fan, how do you feel about that? Is that maybe a bit too early? I mean, he had a really bad injury and it takes time to come back from those. And is the national team the right place to regain the form from an injury like that? Uh, from from what I understand, he won't be playing any minutes in uh, in those games because uh, it's it's a little bit too early. Uh, but Chichestam called him up because he sees him as a key player going forward, and he wants him to be in the squad. He wants to be uh, with him at the tactical uh, trainings when they you know when they work on their the technical uh, or sorry tactical approach to the game so uh, he is just called up to 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 be in the squad and i think this is a um, this is a good thing uh, so when he expect to be back in the squad uh for the spartak games outbreak so he hopes to get into the not into maybe starting lineup but to be on the bench in the first game against uh, krasnodar so that's in two weeks uh, according to the doctors he his recovery is being um, faster than expected, but it was because he uh, worked so hard, and everyone knows that because like he's been consistently uh, showing us through his Instagram, through just like the Spartak's website, how hard he was working. He was training all the time. He was see he put really in a good work, and just we just have to hope that that um, that the that you know this first important games when he still has this psychological barrier of. Um, being cautious, um, you know, those will be good for him and he will uh, get back to the level uh, which he showed last year and it will be good for the club and also obviously for the national team because I see that uh, Cherchesov counts on him and uh, he, he is definitely one of the contenders for the starting lineup. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, Tim, we both had this injury and we know how yeah. hard, hard it is to get back from an injury like that and the work rate that you have to put in and also how important it is to give it time you know, that's, yeah. that's really something I think that a lot of people underestimate that, that, you know, an ACL needs time to heal, even if it's operated and even as well if you put in the work rate. So I think time is really something that's, um, that's required here. But boys, we're finally going to find out what is it, the last six places in the World Cup, um, over the course of the next week. And uh, I want to go to the intercontinental playoffs first. And uh, some two really interesting games, uh, Honduras against Australia and Peru versus uh, New Zealand. 
um, very Latin oceanic flavor in this. Uh, and that's due to Australia, of course, playing in Asia rather than uh, in Oceania, New Zealand. Therefore, you know, you get the New Zealand and Australia both with a shot at this tournament. Um, Andrew, that's, that's going to be two really interesting games, actually. Um, we're going to actually have the preview for Honduras against Australia on the on uh, Football Zidasha, so um, look out for that. But yeah, that's going to be really two very interesting games, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I actually follow um, Honduras football uh, from a distance for some time, actually, um, because I, I, I lived there for a few months. And the last few years, they've, they've really, they kind of fallen away a bit. They used to have some players, I'd say at the top of their game, like Wilson Palacios in midfield and... Um, and he had uh, I, I name slipped my mind. Who was played in China for a while? He was a uh, one of the one of the best strikers from Central America for some time. And I was actually mildly surprised that they made the the intercontinental playoff. But Australia, I I think, are certainly the favourites for this one. And the fact they're playing away in the first leg will be in their favour. But I've been to San Pedro Sula, and it is well. Let's be try and be polite about this. It's a it's a fairly grimy working class city and the atmosphere in that stadium will be just utterly horrific. And Australia will have to be really, will have to be at their best mentally uh, in the, in this first, um, in this first leg. Uh, so honestly, I, if they can escape with a draw, I'd say then they are certainly favorites overall. And I still think I expect them to go through um, over the two legs. Um, Honduras having to travel, some distance back to Australia for the second leg, it'll be a, a pretty much a challenge. If you've got to bear in mind as well, Australia, they arrived in Honduras, I believe it was yesterday or the day before even. Yeah. So they've been there preparing for some time, whereas Honduras will have to travel with what will be basically no more than a, a couple of days really to prepare in Australia. And I think that works very much in Australia's favour. Um, but yeah, like you say, uh, strong oceanic flavour. We've seen Australia in the, the Confederations Cup, of course. So, um, I say expect them to I expect them to go through over the two legs certainly. Um, I mean, as for as for New Zealand Peru, well, I'd, I'd say it's I, I really I really can't call this one. Um, I can't call this because um, the Confederations Cup, man, you were there and yeah. we all watched on on the TV. And I would say I would argue New Zealand gave a good account of themselves. Um, Chris Wood has made a move to the Premier League with Burnley and he's doing well. Um, you know, he's not tearing up trees, but he's gaining, you know, good regular experience. Um, well, Harry, I, I don't know what you think of this one. I'm less, I'm more on the fence with Peru, New Zealand. Well, but, Tim, um, well, Tim, we know uh, Hardy Reyna, of course, from Vancouver, right? Who is yeah. part of the Peru squad, and he's the most, he is the most important player at the in the White Cups. And uh, Peru also have recall Claudio Pizarro. Um, he's on standby for this mm. game as well, and. I think that I think that Peru maybe is going to take this. I uh, I thought New, Ze New Zealand was a bit one-dimensional. Of course, we know their keeper as well, right, Tim? Because Marinovic yeah, is, yeah. is uh, so. There were two Whitecaps players play against each other in this game, and uh, <laughs> it's it's going to be an interesting one. But I just think that Peru have more quality, and uh, I love your politeness about Honduras, Andrew. Um, Honduras is actually these days is more dangerous than Afghanistan. So, um, <laughs> it's, uh, uh yeah. it's, it's a place <laughs> that is not uh, exactly a travel destination right now. And, um, certainly not. 
and uh, <laughs> doing quite a bit of work in CONCACAF. And uh, I know that that it can be tough. The stadium can be really tough, very hostile. And CONCACAF stadiums always are hostile. You know, it's, it's uh, not going to be a fun place to Australia to go to. And I think it really depends. The first leg, if they get out of the first leg and there's still uh, something to play for, then I think Australia can take it, but I wouldn't put it beyond Honduras to take it all in the first leg. And the same with Peru. I think yep. there's just so, so much quality, but we'll see. I mean, those are in some ways are 50 50 games, but boys, um, UEFA, we have the final four from the UEFA, uh, Northern Ireland versus Switzerland. We're going to have Chris Weir that get at that game. He's accredited. So he's going to cover that for over at Fußballstadt. Um, but Croatia, Greece, Tim, that's an interesting game, isn't it? With, uh, two teams that Croatia has all the flair, Greece has all the defensive ability. Hard one to call, isn't it? Yeah, actually, like all those, all those uh, ones are very hard to call. And, uh, uh, for me, I like the Croatian team and my, my friend here in, uh, my best friend here in, in, in Vancouver, he is Greek and I will be watching this game with him. So, uh, you know, I will be obliged to support the, uh, the Greeks. But at the same time, it's, um, it's really hard to call. But, you know, Greek, they know, like, they never play this football which you enjoy watching. But, Somehow they get the results. They always, every other tournament they are in the Euros or in the World Cup, they get there all the time with their disgusting, boring uh, defensive football. But they, they get the results, and that's why it will be so hard for even Croatia. The, 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 the level of players they have still will be very, very, very hard um, to to hard game. So, yeah, I don't, I don't, I really like, I'm looking at those um, games right now. I, I'm not even sure that Italy will have such an easy game because they play against Sweden. Like I, it's all to me 50-50, literally 50-50. I don't see that one team has like significant uh, more chances than the other. Yeah, I would go along with that. I think that uh, Sweden-Italy game... Not done deal. Not a done deal at all. Of course, the, the first leg is in, in Sweden. So... Uh, you know, the Italians will probably cave out a result somehow, as they always do. Um, and then, uh, wrap it up at home. But yeah, I could see them stumble. They don't want them. We, we've spoken in the past about how we want the big boys all be there in Russia because it's just so much more fun. And Italy is one of those really historic teams that you want to see there. And I mean, Andrew, it'd be a shame for Squatra Sora not to go to, to Russia. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I, if Sweden if Sweden win through over the two legs, then I'd fully support them being there because they've earned the right against one of the best teams in the world, really. But you know, I, then on the other hand, if Italy get through, like we mentioned, like you just mentioned, um, you know, the big sides in the tournament always make it a a more colourful. Well, not always, but there's certainly a more colourful element if they are there. Um, I mean, I'm personally. I noticed that you guys mentioned the other three playoffs and uh, didn't really focus on Denmark Island, and oh, I yeah. guess that's kind of because it doesn't quite, you know, it doesn't quite grab the attention as much. Personally, I I think Ireland are going to get through over the two legs in that one um, because for me Denmark rely too heavily on Christian Eriksen. Um, Ireland do not have any really any world beating stars. Um, but they're just an incredibly hard-working team that are very, very well tactically led by Martin O'Neill. And I think 
that's going to be, it's got a nil-nil draw written all over it in the first leg. <laughs> um, and the, um, the Aviva Stadium in Dublin is, is a, a seriously, seriously loud stadium. Um, and the atmosphere that they'll build for that, I think it will be a very low scoring island to take it, I say, by, by a goal or two at most um, over two legs. So, but the point being really is that all, like you mentioned, all four of these playoffs, so, so hard to call. Um, Italy should be getting through over two legs on paper, but then when have these things ever decided on paper? So two legs, that's all it is. Um, I, I cannot wait. It's going to be a fascinating weekend. Yeah, it, it really is. And I, I would never discount the Danish either, Andrew. I have lots of Danish friends and I always play football against them. And they're some of the toughest people, uh, that you will ever play football with. Um, so I'll, I'm not going to discount Denmark either. But if I, I reckon a little bit of a bit, uh, right now of the four teams that are going to go through, I would say it's probably going to be Switzerland, Croatia, Italy. And actually, I think it's going to be Denmark. That's going to be my four four tips to go through. I don't know how you see that, Tim. I kind of agree. I like. I think I agree with you, but again, it's like I'm really. Uh, actually, I agree with you on everything. Uh, it just like those sides have, seem like they have a little bit more experience, a little bit more player quality. But in all those matches, this difference in uh, in experience yeah. and player quality is not significant and um, significant enough to just win because the other team with the less, let's say, experience and player quality can pull up the synergy and perform the team performance, which will be uh, good enough to beat the, uh, you know, the, let's call it some uh, quote-unquote stronger team. So the, I think it's very, very even, but I agree with you. The teams which you named, uh, four of those teams, Switzerland, Croatia, Denmark, and Italy, are, you know, on paper, and when those games were decided on paper, seem to be like favorites, but... I, 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 if I, if I was a betting man, I would never do it yeah. uh, on those games. No, it's, I, I agree with you too. It's too tight to call. Andrew, what's your bet on these four games? Oh God, it's tough, isn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I'd, I'd go along with you with Italy against Sweden. I mean, I'll, I'll preface it by saying I wouldn't be surprised if there's an upset in all four of them, but if I had to stick my neck out, yeah, Italy to, to go through against um, Sweden, Croatia against Greece for me is probably... I mean, probably the strongest bet of the four. Um, I see them as far, far ahead of Greece in, in ability. And they've shown a fair bit of character in recent years too. So I'm going with Croatia in that one. Um, I actually, God, it's so hard to call. I'm going to, I actually am going with both the Irish sides to go through. I know Switzerland have um, certainly the experience, but there's something about the fact for me that in recent years, this just by pure force of character and will, Northern Ireland and Republic um, have, have have managed to qualify and get the results they've needed. Northern Ireland particularly so. Um, they, most people around the world would probably say Switzerland are strong favourites, but I actually don't see it that way. Um, I, I, I see Northern Ireland, um, Republic, Italy and Croatia as my four, but like Tim says, I'm certainly not putting money on it. <laughs> <laughs> no, and neither am I because I don't bet on football. But boys, that does it. We're pretty much out of time. Um, Andrew, I guess you, uh, you are still going to Moscow and battling with the Russian football union. So, <laughs> um, we'll all cross our fingers and uh, 
give you the support <laughs> through the football ground network to get make this happen i'm sure it will uh, we always we always get in somehow but other than that what have you been up to um well yeah just uh, just the usual stuff i'll be doing um i'll, I'll be doing uh, the written previews for both the russia games um and yeah um just a lot of a lot of teaching work at the moment um <laughs> but in terms of writing I'm very, very excited about the the new edition of the the Football Times magazine. It'll I'll be editing that next week, I believe, and then that'll be on sale in time for Christmas. So that's going to be really, really exciting project. Um, battle of the best number tens in history. So really looking forward to that. Oh, that sounds really interesting. Um, Tim, what have you been up to? Oh, I spent the whole weekend uh, in the studio recording a couple of songs with my super orchestra. That was a great success. And um, yeah, this, this, this results will be somewhere sometime in December. And uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this international break. There will be a, like it will be a mix of good games. Russia plays two strong opponents and there will be lots of decisive games. And this is the games I love to watch. Yeah, I'm actually looking forward to it too. Um, Germany is playing some team from from an island, and we're probably going to beat them up again. So I'm looking forward to that <laughs> enormously. Um, it's, Quiet, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's I can give it away. It's not Ireland, so it is, or not that many islands left, I guess, in in Europe. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> now, Andrew, you're probably going to win that game. We always give you the friendlies just to make you feel better. Anyways. Games don't undervalue them, money. Yeah, yeah, very important. I, I think the only games that matter is the ones that give you stars, and I think I see four on my shirt and only one on yours. So <laughs> they're, they're cluttering up the shirt. They're, they're messy. They don't look very nice. <laughs> That's why we're going to add another one because we just can't get enough. Um, but joke aside, we actually have the preview yeah. of that game. Um, on on fußballstadt.com. So that's coming your way. Chris Williams is going to supply that. Um, he's also going to do the preview of England Brazil, and then I'm going to do the preview of um, Germany France. So that will be all. You can find all of that at Football Grad Live. But I'm also really excited. And Tim, this might be something for you to get involved in in the future. We finally have an MLS pod. We call it Soccer oh. Pod. Yes, first recording la yesterday. So that will be with you by the time this podcast comes out. So really excited about that. It's an on and off, but uh, as of next season, because we do get a lot of access, we get interviews with players uh, in MLS really easily. And, um, you know, MLS has been fantastic that way to provide us with this kind of access. So we, we decided it was time to do it. And, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be out. It's we call it soccer podcast is available and you can also find that at football grad live. But boys, that does it. Um, until next week, dos vidanje. For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.